Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because it makes me happy. This is my one-part episode with Michael S. Here's how I met Michael S. I have a friend from Terrestrial Radio named Heather, and she has directed so many people my way, and it's been really cool. She works for KGO in San Francisco, and she introduced me to this guy, Michael. And it was really interesting to talk to him. I've gotten to know so many people from doing this show, and this is so cool, and I can't wait to hear Michael's story. Let's get to it. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome, Michael, to Radio Rehab. Thank you so much for being on the show and, you know, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with the rest of us. It's good to be here. We, I know we have a mutual friend, Heather. It's so funny because she's a normie, yet she's given me such great guests because she likes to hang out with sober people, which is interesting. Yeah, she's a force of nature, that's for sure. She definitely is. <laughs> she definitely is that. Um, I'd like to start, if you don't mind, could you tell us your story to start off with? Oh, I first have to apologize. I'm not very good at this. I don't actually go to any meetings or anything like that. I'm, so, I'm kind of self-sober, I guess. Um, just... I've been sober for almost 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 20 years now, 19, 20 years. Um, and uh, wow, my story. I just spent a lot of time alone drinking, being a pathetic loser. Um, something just hit me, and I all of a sudden decided I gotta I gotta get myself together. So, like, when did your drinking become a problem for you? Just out of curiosity. Well, I. Of course, in my, my early teens, I started as a, that's kind of what we did when I grew up, we drank. Um, and it just, just very progressively kind of caught up with me. My 21st birthday, I remember I was um, working in a restaurant, and I got off work midnight after the after the shift was over. I went to the 7-Eleven and bought a six-pack of beer, and I remember going home and drinking it by myself. Happy birthday, and that was kind of kind of the first start, so I uh, spent a lot of time just drinking alone. Um, I got married, had some kids, and was doing the family thing, and I noticed that it was starting to get between me and my family, me and the, the things that I really cared about. It was shortly after the 9-11. Uh, I was really kind of hitting the bottle pretty hard right after that, the next couple of weeks or so. And um, I remember one, one night we are having dinner, and I've got two identical twin girls, my, my daughters. Um, they're four years old, and they spent all day making dinner. It was going to be really cool. It was like mac and cheese and like hot dogs or something. And they'd mm-hmm. set the table, it was all great and it was all pretty and everything. And we all sat down as a little family to do the family thing. And uh, I normally kept it hidden pretty well. I usually didn't drink in front of my family because I didn't want that to flavor how I raised my children. And so, but this was, so this was special because of the, the catastrophe of 9-11. And um, I remember sitting at the table with my little can of beer there and uh, Madison, my oldest daughter by five minutes, she's, she's like, she wants to say grace. So she puts her hands together and she does a little, 
thank you, God, for mommies and daddies and ponies and flowers. And then she, <laughs> I know, this is adorable. And then she looked around for something else to be thankful for. And she goes, and thank you for daddy's beer. And it was like, oh, they're aware of it now. So, yeah. So a few other things that happened leading up to that, but it was, uh, that was like a moment I thought, okay, I should probably do something. Um, and I mean, there's a lot more after that point, a lot of things really, really fell into place. Uh, I don't know if you want me to spill the beans now. I totally do. I totally do. So shortly after that, I, that, later that night, I dumped the beer out. It's like, I didn't even finish it. So I didn't have anything else to drink that night. Uh, usually I'd be drinking, tw- you know, 12, 12, 15, 16 beers a night. Um, sleeping two hours and then shaking it off to go to work the next morning. Um, this time I just poured it out. Um, I went to work the next morning, felt spry. It was strange. Didn't have a headache or anything. I was like, got up and was like, <laughs> off to work. And um, shortly later on in the day, I started feeling kind of anxious. I don't, I don't know what's going on, like, like nervous and, and um, kind of agitated. And so I kept checking my pulse and I was noticing I was a very, very fast pulse. So I just decided to, uh, to excuse myself and I went home for the rest of the day. Um, got home and I just tried to calm down. I thought I was having a panic attack. I didn't know what was going on. And um, sat in a dark room by myself, checking my pulse. And I was at one time I was like in my sitting resting pulse rate, I was 120 beats per minute. And oh my like, God. So I started feeling like my hands were getting numb and tingling and my face was kind of, kind of feeling weird and I was dizzy um, and I just couldn't calm down and my hands were, I was just like nervous and shaking. I couldn't figure it out. So I called 911, had the, the ambulance showed up and uh, they put the EKG on me and all that. And they started checking everything, making sure I was okay. Um, and my blood pressure was through the roof. My blood pressure was like 220 over 170 or something. I mean, they're like, you, we're going to take you to the hospital because you may die shortly. We don't know oh, what you wow. want to get you taken care of. So I went to the, um, went to the hospital and uh, the doctors were asking me the questions and they said, well, are you taking any medications? And I said, well, no, I, I usually have aspirin, but I'm not taking any. He goes, why do you take aspirin? I said, well, I have headaches from time to time. And he goes, well, how often do you have headaches? And I said, well, just about every morning. And he goes, why do you have headaches? And I said, well, because I drink a lot. And he goes, when was the last time you had something to drink? And I said, about 24 hours ago. And he goes, sir, guess what? You have, you're having withdrawals. So oh. even when I was trying to quit, it kept trying to kill me. It's like, it's like we have this, un, this understanding, you know, you can keep living your life and drinking and drinking and drinking, but don't ever try to leave me. Right. Or I'll kill you. <laughs> and so that's kind of he the doctor asked me if I wanted to get some help and I said absolutely so they checked me in wow it's so funny because I had I had like pretty much the same experience you know with with the DTs and like the heart rate and all of that stuff and I always thought like I just need to drink more if I just drank more I would make my heart you know slow down I didn't realize that it, that was the alcohol sugars coming out of my body and I was literally going into delirium tremens like I had yep. no idea yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah, it's, that's a rude awakening. I know, but so, did you have to go to, into a detox center or? Yeah, they had a uh, they had an interesting facility there. Um, well, we're going to rewind a little bit back the story before I quit drinking. Um, again, right after nine eleven, my um, my family knew I had a problem. No, everyone had knew except for I didn't know. Um, but my my younger brother decided we're going to go fishing. We lived up in Seattle, and there's some beautiful rivers up there. We're going to go salmon fishing. 
And so like two in the morning we got up and uh, I would, I'd hit it again pretty hard the night before. So I was really bad hanging over my head, hurt really bad. Um, we marched out in the middle of the night out to this beautiful river up in my hometown. Um, and you could, it was one of those biblical moments. You could hear the fish swimming upstream. You could walk across the, the river on the backs of the fish. It was so, so crazy, but we weren't catching anything. We're just standing out there throwing, you know, throwing lures in. Um, I kind of wandered off a little bit off to the, the side and this is where it gets weird. I don't know if, if you want to get all metaphysical and spiritual. Dude, go, dude, as weird as you want to get is great with me. <laughs> so, so I'm out there fishing and my brother's off, you know, maybe 20 yards away from me over there. And this guy shows up out of nowhere. He just comes up next to me and he starts talking about stuff. And one of the things that was talking about was he works at this um, detox center. It's called Providence, and we all, and Providence is basically means that the hand of God, inter, you know, directly moves you in your in your world. So this Providence thing, you know, he was talking about this, uh, and he was talking about just really strange spiritual things. I thought it was strange and odd. And then he goes, he goes, hey, by the way, I had a lot of luck fishing over in that little pool over there. Got to give it a shot. So I'm like, whatever, dude. And then I kind of like went over and I went fishing over there my brother came over after that and i go did you hear that guy was talking my my brother goes what guy and i was no. like i had a conversation with someone and my brother goes it's just been you and me here all morning so it was really strange so providence medical center is where i checked myself in so by the way i was catching fish left and right i couldn't stop catching them after that that's amazing that's so, i mean that's amazing and that totally i can completely understand how that's real because it's like they always say, like, we need, like, a bright flash of the obvious or something to get us clean and sober. You know? Yeah. I mean, call it call it an angel or, or the, you know, hallucination. It could be right. the same thing. We don't know. But, yeah, it was just it was one of those things that kind of started leading me down that path. Then, you know, my daughter and all that stuff. Uh, eventually, I checked myself into Providence Medical Center. Um, was that your first time getting sober? Officially, yeah. Everyone, you know, I can quit drinking when I want to quit drinking. Well, why don't you right. want to? So, right. You could prove to yourself that you can quit drinking for, you know, like, I'm going to do it for a month. And then you're just, you hate everything in the world, everything around you. And then, like, a month later, it's like, there, damn it. Right. I did it. Yeah. You got a problem. I know. I think I think normal people do that in November and on in October. And it's so funny to watch. It's like, oh, really? Why don't you tack another year onto that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's very, cause they're, well, they're white knuckling. Yeah, that was the first um, real attempt at anything. That was. Right. Well, speaking of white knuckling, how do you stay sober, like, without... What I do, for example, I mean, and I know it's always personal to everybody. Some people find religion, some people do whatever. Like for me, it's it's been the twelve steps, and I'm always curious as to somebody who doesn't go to meetings. How, like, what do you do? What do you fill the emptiness with? Um, wow, I kind of went a different direction than most people. I did try to go to the meetings, mm -hmm. but, and it was probably just the meetings. I don't. It's not everyone has different experiences, but. I saw a lot of really depressed and upset people there not enjoying life. And I thought, maybe, is this what my life's going to be like? Because I can just go stop at the 7-Eleven and get some beer and we'll be better. And so I didn't go very long. I still actually have my little um, court assigned slip. When you go mm -hmm. to the docks and you got to go, you must do seven of these in the next two weeks or whatever. I right. still have the wallet with me right now, by the way. Um, 
but I ended up getting um, involved in a church. It's an interesting church. And um, there are some people like me there, like the pastor was a recovering meth addict. So really? Yeah, it's a really, really amazing thing. Um, the service wasn't the really preachy stuff. The service was they took they took the stories from the Bible and they put a spin like modern society on it. We actually had a band in the church that was a rock and roll band. I remember one of the first times I went there, it was during um, Easter service, and they drew a comparison between the movie The Matrix and the New Testament. It was very bizarre. I thought it was fabulous. Um, for those, no, that's great. That's fascinating. Yeah, but the um, yeah, you know how the main character has to die in the real world to become powerful in the other world. You know, Did right, I? right, yeah. So, but what really struck me was that this church, the 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 band, the choir was a rock band, and they actually played Nine Inch Nail song at church. And I thought, this is this is for me. I can do this. So, what, but, what kind of church is it? Like, what's it called that does that? If I can, if I can name drop, it's called Allen Creek Community Church. It's up in Marysville, Washington, and it is a Christian secular church. Hmm. It's, it's not like here's your tattoo on your forehead. Um, right, they're like non-denominational. They're just like a church. Yeah. Um, so that that's where I met some of these these crazy people that were going through the same stuff I was. The pastor was a drummer and also recovering meth addict. Um, I met another friend who's very close to me. His name is Mike also, uh, also a recovering meth addict. And he was doing a program at the time. Um, I forget the name of the program, but it was about spiritual recovery. And it was fascinating because you're familiar with the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. He, their, their idea was that the 12 steps were actually from the seven Beatitudes, the from Sermon on the Mound with Jesus Christ. Yes, from the Oxford group. Yeah, absolutely. Et cetera. And so I went through that and it was really, it was really fascinating. It kind of, kind of sparked something in me. I thought this is interesting. So uh, how do I stay sober? I don't know. Um, (laughs) I don't know. So I just don't, it's just not part of my life anymore. I um, went through what I was calling my steps and I came to a point where I was like, okay, this is, this is a disease. It's not a weakness. It's not a something that you chose to have. It's not any of those things. This is um, a deadly disease that kills people all the time. Mm. It destroys everything in its wake. Everything that you love gets destroyed. Relationships, jobs, money, house, everything goes. Um, it is a deadly disease and I have it. It's kind of what I said. I, I got this. This is a thing that I have. And then I realized I just have to take ownership and say, this is mine. I have this disease and everything, my attitude in life is that everything is a gift. Everything is a blessing. Even a difficult road is a blessing because I get to learn from it. So this is my path and it is mine alone. And I get to have these stories. Right. So I just admitted that I have this deadly disease and it's a blessing. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and I mean, I, I have to do the gratitude thing every night and I totally get what you're saying. But like, how do you keep yourself so humble and grateful? Like, um, what, what's your practice? Do you meditate every morning? Like, what do you do? Oh, um, I again, it's going to I don't want to get like too too religious. I every night I, I, I every night say say grace. I say a prayer every mm-hmm. night. To say uh, Lord's Prayer is beautiful because it's very it's very humble and it 
and it puts it takes it away from me and puts it out there you know so like thank you for all the blessings today you know i got right. air in my lungs you know it's a good day so so all those all those things but um yeah so i do a little bit of meditation one of my keys is i know that i have to be very self-aware very self you know because the thing i discovered about the disease is that it is a keen liar it is a very good mm-hmm. liar and i and i i can find myself lying to myself and falling for it and so just making yep. sure that making sure that i'm aware of the lies that i'm telling myself and just always bring it back to zero and say no 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 no, that's bs that's bullshit mike you know it is so totally so. I know I always say my disease talks to me in my own voice. It's like it's so irritating because I'm like, oh, that's a thought that makes sense. And it never is a thought that makes sense. It's literally the disease speaking to me in my own voice. It's crazy. Yeah. Is there anything that you do like as far as outside help? Do you do any therapy or recreational activities that help you with sobriety? <sighs> Wow, I'm kind of boring. I, I made a point of not changing who I was, all of the things that I was really cool at. You know, I, I'm a musician, I, so I hung out with the, the musician folks at that church. I don't go there anymore. Um, but, I, you know, motorcycles and rock and roll and fast sports cars, you know, whatever. Um, I do like food also. So, hmm. uh, But I, I, I don't really have, you know, specific to keep me sober things, not offhand. Right. But I mean, probably everything you do that's for you keeps you sober, you know? Yeah, yeah. Is your relationship with your daughters good? Yes, it's always been good. And um, I went through kind of an ugly divorce after all said and done. Um, Regardless of sobriety, it was a divorce that was going to happen anyhow. So, um, but yeah, my daughters and I are in great shape. We're, uh, they're 24 years old now, and I just spent a week with my youngest daughter, took her down to Los Angeles. She's going to be a, a, a movie effects artist. So she's going to school there. So. Nice. Nice. That, that's where I grew up. LA. Is she like, is she, does she have any knowledge of your background? Like, does she have memories of that? She does. We, we, we shared all that. They were young enough to know kind of something was going on. Cause I went away for roughly a week and a half. Um, and then life changed. It was a very different thing. I actually went through um, the, you know, the the pink cloud that everyone talks about. Yeah. I have the blessing of having a little bit of scientific background and I understand what was going on. It was chemical levels in my brain had been spiking because I was artificially depressing them with alcohol. And after a couple of weeks of sobriety, they're just like, yay, everything's wonderful. And then right. my, my brain went through this other reaction. It's like, oh crap, that's way too much serotonin. You get no more, and so after that, I went to this this monstrous depression. So and Hondonia, yeah, totally. Uh, this, yeah, this uh, this earth-shattering depression that lasts for for years, actually. So um, still still battle with it a little bit, actually. So yeah, ten years later. So my doctor was pretty pretty wise. He said that that alcoholism and depression are usually the same the same. Same disease. They usually work hand in hand. Right. Separate sides of the same disease. Yeah. I mean, because we're all trying to self-medicate the same issue. It's not like we're just trying to party. You know, we're trying to not be sad or we're trying to not have anxiety or we're just trying to sleep a lot of times. Yeah. Get through the day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be able to get out of bed and take a shower. Like anything like that. Yeah. 
Exactly. No, I totally understand because the disease talks to me, like I said, in my own voice and, and I hear it all the time. And I have to have, I mean, I've relapsed a bunch that my story is a little different and that I've been in 15 rehabs and I, I've tried so hard to get sober and it's just been such a struggle, you know, for me. And, and now I'm coming up on five years. I don't think I should say that. I should just say four and a half. September 17th, you know, <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's like, it's a ton of work. It's not like, it's not the ton of work where like, you know, I can't go out or I can't be around alcohol. It's just a ton of work where I just have to work on myself a lot. And during COVID I've gotten really depressed and my disease and my head has been really loud. So I'm curious as to how you've dealt with that during this whole shelter in place thing. Well, the shelter in place makes it easy because you can't go to the store and get beer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I just, I guess I'm just very fortunate. I, uh, I, I know people have problems with that sort of thing. I just, again, just go through the basics, you know, be grateful that I'm not drinking every day. And it's, I know that it's something that I can get, I can heal from as long as I don't partake in it. And I, I always remind myself that is that, you know, I, it, one drink is all it takes. And I'm back even worse than what I was. You know, in real life, I'm real, relatively charming and smart and funny, and I'm great at my job. But I know that it just takes one mistake, and all of that, every bit of that goes away. Right. So. Yeah, it's like they say, if you don't take the first drink, you can't get drunk. Right. I exactly. mean, it's it's totally true. I, I mean, I have the exact same situation with that, except... Except that I just think for me, for some reason, I'm just one of those difficult alcoholics where it requires more work. And, you know, in, in the big book, in our program, it's separated, the stories are separated into three sections. There's high bottom, middle bottom, and low bottom. And I think it's important to have everyone on this show because not everybody is like a homeless crackhead like myself. You know what I mean? Like, there, everybody has their own different story and yours is just as relevant as mine is. And I'm sure there's going to be like tons and tons of people who relate to you who think I'm insane, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what that's, I was hesitant to come on the show because, um, just it, it's, it's a private thing for me. It's like people, my favorite thing that happens is like people, I'll, I'll tell them that I'm an alcoholic and recovering. They say, why don't you drink? Because I'm really good at it. You don't want to know. And then they'll go to a, a, a party or a situation where they're drinking. I said, you, you guys are fine. Enjoy yourselves. I'm, I'm all right. I'm just not going to be drinking. And inevitably the question comes, do you think I have a drinking problem? And <laughs> I know. Your, I love that. It doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. Was, I, I don't know. Do you think you have a drinking problem? <laughs> I can see I behaviors that are concerning, but I'm not going to say you have a drinking problem. That's and it's part of my recovery is I don't judge people. I'm not going to judge. Yeah. I mean, that's great. It's like, it's, I always say to people do like, I'm an alcoholic, not an alcoholist. I'm right. a drug addict, not a drug addict or whatever. Like, it's like, I cannot, can, I can't tell somebody they have a problem right. or, or, or diagnose people. And I get asked that too. It's funny that you said that. That's, nice. <laughs> I know, right. No, I you do have a problem. I know. What would, what would they do if you said that? And it's like, also, it's like when people are like, is it okay if I'm drinking in front of you? And it's like, if that wasn't okay, I wouldn't be sober. Right. Like, I'm not sober because nobody ever has alcohol anywhere near me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, live live your life. Be, be your best you, so. Exactly. Like, I'm sober because I hit rock bottom. 
Well, in closing, is there any advice you would have to give? You would like to give to anybody? What about your younger self? Is there any advice you would give to your younger self? Wow, I just, I just go back to being very self-aware. Um, if you're if you're struggling and you want to get better, you know, like you know, I can't tell you that you have a problem. You have to tell yourself that you have a problem. Um, being self-aware and understanding that it's something that you have. It's not a weakness. Um, it's a, actually it's a strength. You you get to go through some amazing things in recovery, self-discovery. You get to know things about who you are that normal people don't get to know about themselves. So cherish it. Um, just in, you know, throw yourself into a hundred percent and and you know get sober. And it gets easier every single day. And I know that's cliche, but it does every single day that you're sober. The further away you are from it, the better you are. So that's my that's my advice. And my last question is, what what would you tell your daughters? First and foremost, I've actually, they've asked me this question before, and I tell them, I want them to be happy, and that's all. So find Aww. happiness, and that makes your father happy. Great answer. That was great. That's what my dad would have said to me. So well, I appreciate I it. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Radio Rehab. This is this is great, and I thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. And like, I had a great time, and I know this is going to help a lot of people. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael S., for being on Radio Rehab and for sharing your story. I really appreciate that. This has been great. And you guys, since this was a one-part episode, I just want to let you know that we're following up with an interview with director extraordinaire, Andy Timoner. That's coming up next. She's the director of a new movie called Coming Clean, which is so close to my heart. One of the greatest things I've ever seen. It's about the opioid crisis, which you also know is close to my heart if you've ever listened to this show before. If you haven't, go back. We've got a ton of episodes in the bank and you can learn more about that. I am so excited to have her coming up on the show next. So stay tuned and keep coming back. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radio rehab at gotoproductions.com. That's go-to-productions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511, even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back.